You are listening to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I am your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, and my goal is to empower you to become the alpha of your health. Hello, you guys, and welcome back to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. Today, I am sharing a very cool interview that I did with Ashley Armstrong, and I am really excited to tell you guys a little bit more about that. But before we do, I am just wanting to share some kind of exciting things that I've been working on. So as you guys know, I have my Alpha Health membership, which kind of is like my social media on steroids. It's access to me for questions. I've got a challenge going on right now. Like this month, we're doing like a mindful movement challenge um, where we're focused on you know, being mindful of how much we're moving throughout the day, because I shared a really interesting study in there on how less than 5,000 steps a day was really linked to insulin resistance and just an increase in comorbidities across the board. And so that's something that we're just really being mindful of this month. This month, I'm also going to be releasing my parasite protocol in there. I'm hoping in probably mid-October, I'm going to be planning on doing my blood glucose metabolic health type group coaching that's all going to be through the membership just because it's a really great platform where it's just really nice because it's a really open and safe space where people can ask questions. We have a lot of really cool nuanced discussions. People feel definitely the community aspect because we've had some really, we've had some really great discussions in there that honestly, I would not want to be on social media right now, just because of how divisive things are and how people are so judgmental. And it's just really nice that we have this community in this tribe through the membership, which I'm absolutely loving. And tonight we are gearing up for our monthly zoom call, which is always so much fun. And yeah, so I, I love the membership and I'm continuing to add more and more things to it. Like I've been posting a lot of workouts. There's tons of recipes and meal ideas so that it's always giving you guys really easy ways that you can make super yummy food for you, your family. Like I, this weekend I had shared some things on like a really good Labor Day recipe that people can try. And so I'm really just trying to equip you guys with just obviously a community, but to, you know, access to me in terms of a lot of really awesome things that I've been wanting to share and having it all, having a community to do so. And I've really, really been loving it. And so we are going to be doing the parasite protocol will be in there soon. I've got a metabolic whole food detox protocol in there. I've got a lot of really great stuff. So if you haven't checked out the membership, you can head to drhaleyshoff.com slash membership, or you can just head to the link in the description. And if you have any questions on what it's like or anything, just let me know. I'm more than happy to kind of answer whatever questions you have about joining or, you know, what it's like, or, you know, what it be beneficial for you. So feel free to ask, but that's been a lot of fun. And I definitely have a lot of really, really exciting things coming down the pipeline as we continue to grow in there. And as we continue to build this community and I just want to continue to bring more and more exciting things. So that's been really fun. I'm just feeling super recharged after a very fun weekend. My best friend came and visited and stayed with us for the weekend. And it was just so much fun feeling very, very, very recharged the weekend, I mean, very tired, obviously the last two weekends have been really tired. We had a weekend in the mountains and then had a weekend of entertaining, which was amazing. So 
just, it's just really so much, it's so inspiring for me to come back to work and come back to content creating and podcasting with such a refreshed mind. Um, that really, really, really helps. So anyways, I just wanted to share a little bit about that and just kind of how I'm feeling refreshed because sometimes when you put out content all the time, sometimes, especially because of how toxic, toxic social media can be, you know, it just, it, you it can leave you feeling uninspired, right? You don't want to get in an argument with somebody. There's a lot of divisive topics out there. There's a lot of triggered people. And so that's not really fun to put yourself out there sometimes, you know, when you are dealing with the heat. And I'm a really firm believer that, you know, I, I need to stand up for what I believe and I need to put information out that's important for people, even if it's not information that that they might not be receptive to. And that's okay. Everybody, people who are receptive to info are the ones who are going to benefit from it. But anyways, I'm just saying that it's weekends like this kind of disconnected from things, but connected in real life that really truly make you feel recharged. And that makes me really happy. So, uh, I'm very excited to share with you guys today's podcast guest. I don't know if you can hear Rush. He's on my chair and he's digging his nails into it. So if that's what you heard, that's him. Um, he loves laying with me or while I'm standing, he's sitting in my chair next to me because he's such a love bug. But today's interview, I interviewed Ashley Armstrong from the strong sisters on Instagram. They are really both there is two sisters. Um, they're in the process of creating a farm, which we talk a lot about, but they're really, really big advocates for whole food eating, proper nutrition, uh, filling your nutrition to help, so help and support a healthy metabolism, which is really important, especially when people are coming from places like diet culture and restriction. Very big into you know limiting refined seed oils, and we talk a little bit about anti nutrients, you know, because they had done a carnivore diet for a while, so they talk about how that can be beneficial, but now they're more in a space of consuming easy to digest foods like fruits and certain non, non-toxic veggies, which that's kind of like the, the, the term used when you're not talking, when you're talking about avoiding anti-nutrients in plants, which anti-nutrients are found in certain foods because plants don't necessarily want to be eaten. And she talks a lot about that. And it's kind of a topic that I've learned more about within the past year. And it's something Otherwise, I had not heard really anything about, but it's very, very interesting. Dr. Dave, or not Dr. Dave Asprey, Dave Asprey talks a lot about it, and Dr. Paul Saladino both talk a lot about it too. So those are good references. Um, If you are looking to learn more, not that it's making, not that I want it to make people afraid of eating certain things, but then you can just know on how to prepare things better. For example, grains is a big one that has phytic acid, which impedes the absorption of zinc. But when you sprout grains, you get rid of the phytic acid. And so just because some food might have an anti-nutrient, our ancestors and things were really, really smart in terms of how they would get rid of it. That's why grains were always soaked and sprouted to kind of get rid of that. And uh, another one is kale and spinach that can be really high in oxalates, which especially if you have kidney issues. But I learned this from Dave Asprey. If you mix the, if you mix the cal or spinach with like a high calcium food, like a, I use like a grass fed organic heavy cream and I'll make like a cream of spinach. That was why that is, that's why they do that is because the calcium blocks the absorb the, the oxalic acid and other anti-nutrients. So it's really, really interesting. 
If you want to learn more about that, those are good resources. We talk a little bit about it here, not extensively, but a little bit. We talk about how to be eating to fuel your metabolism and why that's really important, balancing your blood sugar. So it's a really good episode. I hope that you guys enjoy it, and I look forward to hearing your feedback on it. We're going to dive into a lot of different things today. So Ashley, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, My sister was not able to join us today, but hopefully I can uh, speak on her behalf. So yeah, together we form the Strong Sisters, but she's busy this morning. Yeah, you guys have a lot going on. Talk about... Talk about your background, introduce yourself a little bit for people who might not be familiar with you, and we can get kind of a, a vibe on just everything that you do, what you're passionate about, because I love all that you talk about on social media. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Honestly, everything that we are working towards today, all of our passions, our, our businesses that we're starting, and all of our goals on social media, they're all they're all stemming from our passion for health, so optimal health. And our journey towards optimal health started over 10 years ago. We've honestly been through probably every single diet phase that someone can think of. Um, back in the day, it was all about low fat and whole grains, right? So I started off my journey being like, okay, I'm going to eat healthy so I can be the best athlete that I can be. I was really into soccer and golf and I just wanted to perform at my best. And so the standard nutritional guidelines, you know, low fat, only eat red meat one time a week, lean chicken breast, eat your broccoli and whole grains. So that's where I started my journey. Um, and this was during my adolescent period. So like, uh, when I should have been getting my period and I was clearly just nutrient deficient, um, energy deficient, not consuming the right types of foods. I was really missing out on the healthy animal fats. And so started there. Um, then I got into the, if it fits your macros, like bro diet, like Oh, it doesn't really matter exactly how you, what you eat during the day, as long as you kind of fit your macros, right? So certain amount of carbs, fats, and proteins, I could get my, eat my broccoli in and then I'll fit Oreos in for dessert, you know? So that, um, did that for a while, uh, along with powerlifting and honestly just was not focusing on nutrient density, started to get some weird symptoms that were definitely aligning with like autoimmune my sister and I got some blood blood work. Um, uh, the rheumatologist told my sister that she was heading down the path towards lupus. And taking a look at what we were eating those days is definitely clear why. Um, a lot of like raw and undercooked vegetables, a lot of like non-organic, starchy, whole grains, not getting like healthy fats and fat-soluble vitamins, not getting the right um, like multivitamin nutrients from like liver and things like that. So we started getting, um, a lot of inflammation and negative consequences there. And so, uh, we thought the best thing to do would go towards plant-based. So, all right, I'm just going to eat more vegetables and going to cut out meat and just get my protein in from egg white powder and eggs. So we've always really been into like working out. So we always have understood the importance of protein. So protein has always been high in our diet. That's the only thing that's been consistent the whole time. And honestly, I think that's a really important part and why we didn't shrivel away all of our muscle during this time. But um, that started making the symptoms worse. Um, And we were honestly really confused and we stumbled upon the carnivore diet and did a complete flip on our thinking on the requirements and whether or not we need vegetables and that actually saturated fat is healthy for us and that animal protein is actually the most 
bioavailable and nutrient dense protein we could be eating. So we went to carnivore, zero carb. Um, and we were really into like fasting and ketosis and things like that. And we definitely saw some like inflammation reduction, but over time, um, I honestly think that it was increasing our cortisol levels because we were relying on gluconeogenesis a lot and we reached a wall, um, with that. And I personally uh, think reflecting back on it, that we were running on a lot of stress hormones and that felt good in the beginning relative to the severely, um, inflamed gut that we had when we were really plant-based, but then we started feeling pretty crappy and noticed a bunch of signs of adrenal fatigue and our thyroids were really, um, like not doing well. And so that's kind of what led us to our current approach that we're on right now, which is more of the bioenergetic repeat pro metabolic nutrition strategy, where a brief summary is we want to try to be carb fueled. So easy to digest carbohydrate sources that don't um, interrupt the gut. And then for fat sources, we want to prioritize saturated fats and animal fats. And then for protein, we want to prioritize animal protein. So it's been a huge health journey. We've definitely tried all ends of the spectrum. um, And it feels really good right now. Like I, I, of course, health is an evolution and a journey. It's never an end destination. And so what I'm doing right now is not going to work for me in two to five years, but um, there will always need to be little slight tweaks here and there. But I really think that I have finally stumbled upon a really strong foundation for nutrition principles that is actually backed by human physiology and science rather than propaganda and fear mongering. That's awesome. I love that. So I actually remember hearing about you guys. I listened to a few podcasts. You guys were on Coffee with the Docs back I think yeah. this fall. Um, I, I like their podcast. Sometimes I'll, I checked it out. And then that's when I first heard you guys and I was like, oh, whatever. And then I found you guys on Instagram and, and then I just kind of made the connection now because now I see what you're posting and I'm like, they're definitely not carnivore anymore. How did, when did, how did you transition out of carnivore? Did you guys see any of your lab markers improve? And I love what you said about, you know, this is, health is constantly evolving. It's not an end destination. And I feel like I've just so self-experimented on so many different things on myself. And I feel the same way as I'm constantly changing and evolving to what my body needs and what my body's telling me. And so I think in the diet space where we have the, if it fits your macros, there's no flexibility for being able to listen to your body because you eat the same thing macro wise day in, day out. You don't change depending on whether you're cutting, bulking, maintaining, whatever. I mean, I tried the same thing and it was the worst I've ever been health wise. You know, there's probably a healthy way you can do it, but but anyways, I digress. So I love that you talk about, you know, that, that your, your journey is kind of ever changing and ever evolving. Um, back to that question. Did you guys see, how did your health improve from the carnivore? What things did you really like that you're still implementing now and that you've transitioned kind of into this, into this new, new kind of season of your life? Yeah, for sure. Honestly, I think that the carnivore journey was the most important stop on our health journey. Um, it taught us so many invaluable lessons that I think have really been transformative to our current career path um, and also how we view health and nutrition. So I think some really important pizza pieces of the carnivore is the elimination of potential inflammatory foods for you. Um, you know, in mainstream, we're blasted with like, eat as many fruits and vegetables as you can during the day. And that's not necessarily the case. Like, 
vegetables can be really inflammatory in your guts. And if they're not cooked properly, like our ancestors figured out how to properly implement like vegetables, they'd really cook them down um, and consume them with, with other foods, but like consuming a bunch of like barely cooked or raw vegetables that can really cause some gut issues. And if your gut's not happy, your health is not going to be good. Um, so that was a, a huge turning point in, in realizing that, Hey, vegetables may not be the most nutrient dense food option. We discovered liver, we discovered oysters, we discovered like egg yolks. Like, so a lot of these animal foods are actually incredibly nutrient dense without uh, a lot of anti-nutrients and potential inflammatory things that can cause problems. So that was a huge, I think, transformative viewpoint. Um, and then we also realized that like, Hey, saturated fat is actually where it's at and that's what's healthy. And the most abundant sources of saturated fat are animal fats, of course, coconut oil and chocolate as well. But, um, so I think learning, those were two huge, like lessons, really crucial learning points that we had on the carnivore diet. Um, however, I think that for certain people, the state of ketosis can be really stressful. Um, gluconeogenesis is required to create carbs for the tissues in your body that cannot rely on ketones and fats for fuel. So gluconeogenesis um, actually stimulates stress pathway. Some of the stress hormones are required for gluconeogenesis. And so for someone who is living a really stressful life and is really active, the state of ketosis for prolonged periods of time may just add too much to your stress bucket. And I think that that's where we reached our wall. We were, our, our stress bucket was too full with everything that we were doing. And so adding in carbohydrates and reducing the amount that our body relied on gluconeogenesis was, I think, a really important step in our health journey. Um, I noticed a difference in my energy almost immediately. Um, it was much more calm as opposed to really feeling on edge all the time. Like, uh, like I downed like 10 energy drinks and was kind of like, uh, shaky sometimes. Whereas mm -hmm. when I'm now carbohydrate fueled, um, I feel a little bit more at ease. So that that's my personal experience. Um, and so I noticed a difference there. And then a huge thing was my cholesterol levels. When I was a zero carb carnivore, I had severely high LDL cholesterol. My triglycerides were great. They were low. My HDL was great. They were high, but my LDL cholesterol was like 400 or 500. Mm -hmm. And in, in this, uh, keto and low carb space, that's termed a lean mass hyper responder. Yeah. Not viewed as a bad thing. And so I was like, Oh, I don't need to worry about it. But in hindsight now, the literature is pretty clear that super high cholesterol is indicative of having severe thyroid issues because so so that, so having the high cholesterol, my low T3, and then my hormone issues, those are all related. So when someone is in a severely stressed state, something has got to give, right? And so my hormone production was definitely uh, compromised. And, you know, your body will co convert cholesterol into these like hormones and mine weren't being converted as efficiently. And I think that that was due to the state of my thyroid and being in a state of stress. So yeah, my, totally. my LDL cholesterol almost dropped in half. I don't think anyone's LDL cholesterol should be super low, like mainstream provide, no. because there's plenty of evidence showing that like, um, it can improve, um, your health and longevity later in life. So having 
high LDL cholesterol is not necessarily a bad thing in context. Right. But super high LDL cholesterol, that's like a little bit of a red flag. So my LDL cholesterol dropped in half. Um, my, that, that was pretty much the main, the two main things, my energy and my LDL cholesterol dropped in half. I'm still waiting to get my period back. Um, but there's been a lot of changes that are indicative that my hormones are getting better. Um, my hormone blood work is getting, is improving. It's working in the right direction. Um, but yeah, those are, those are some of the main things that I noticed. And as of right now, like I, I think that this is really working for me. I, I can tell energy focus, um, and just like life enjoyment wise, uh, mm-hmm. adding things back in that I, I enjoy like fruit <laughs> life is to enjoy too. Um, and yeah, I'm really enjoying it health wise and I don't feel restricted at all. I don't get like sugar cravings and it, it it's feeling pretty good. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. I, I think it's, it's so interesting to hear the kind of the different viewpoints with that, because, you know, I listen, I like a lot of uh, physicians and clinicians who were kind of more in the low carb potential, you know, in and out of ketosis space. Cause they, you know, they see great results with their patients, but I also totally understand and see for myself the importance of this other spectrum. So I think it's so cool when we can kind of take all of these different viewpoints and be able to try things on ourselves to see what works best for us, depending on what season of life we're in for you guys. Like you guys were in a very stressed state, you know, you were able to get some inflammation out, but then it was very cool that you could kind of like have the cognitive dissonance to be like, you know what, let's try some things that are kind of going against what we're doing and see how things work out. And I think that that's something that's missing in a lot of spaces is you listen to certain people either on one side or the other, and they're so on their one side or the other that I, it's very refreshing for me to be able to t- talk to you because like you understand the importance of kind of both sides and you've been able to, you can speak for yourself on both. So I think that that's, that's really, really cool. Um, yeah. What are, what are some of the things that, can we talk about the, how we talked about how some vegetables and things can be inflammatory and whatnot? Can you kind of, can we talk about that a little bit? Um, I have some people ask about that and, especially with autoimmunity and things. I know nightshades are a big one. What are some big ones that you guys found to be triggers for you? Yeah. um, So that has evolved, right? And so I think that that's an important thing to keep in mind. Um, Someone's state of inflammation, someone's state of like thyroid health, someone's metabolism, their, their speed of metabolism and how many calories they're consuming. All of these factors are going to influence how much energy your body has to expend on digestion, right? So if your body is in a super stressed state, it's kind of making sure that it's taking care of the most important things that it can to keep you alive. And it's going to set other things aside that aren't necessarily uh, like vital, like libido or potentially optimal digestion, because that's, that's not critical for you to breathe and stay alive at that moment. And so I think when analyzing someone's like state of energy deficit or their state of stress, it's always important to keep in mind that sometimes something's going to give. And so when you start to improve your metabolism, when you start to improve or reduce the amount of stress that you're putting on your body, you're going to see your body be able to handle different things. And so I think it's always important to keep in mind that what you can or can't handle right now, it may change. And so early on, honestly, most vegetables were causing huge amounts of issues. Um, we didn't, we didn't realize this, 
But when we removed all the vegetables, we saw a huge improvement in our, in our guts. Um, and that makes sense, right? But now I've been able to add things back in as I have reduced my inflammation, improved my stress, reduced my stress levels and increased my rate of metabolism. So now my body has more energy to be able to produce the necessary compounds to digest foods. Um, and so early on, I would definitely say like cruciferous vegetables. That's something I don't really prioritize. They can have negative effects on your thyroid, um, and really leafy green vegetables. In general, if you have cravings for vegetables, eat them, but eat them really well cooked. I think that mm -hmm. that's the most important thing. Never go for vegetables raw um, and really cook them down. And this, it, it's really weird to think of, but plants don't want to get eaten, right? They're, they're out in the wild. They want to be able to let their species live on and reproduce. And so they have to develop some sort of like, quote, warfare to fight off predators because they can't move. Plants are placed in the ground, they're stationary, and they can't move. And so many times plants develop like chemical warfare. So they have these anti-nutrient compounds to try to make predators not eat them. And this can come in the form of like anti-nutrients, but then it can also come in the form of like really hard shells around their seeds because the seeds are the most important part of a plant. It's what determines whether that plant will live on and, and reproduce. And so a lot of the plant seeds are heavily protected with these harder shells and chemical compounds that can cause a lot of issues in our body. However, like I said earlier in the podcast, our ancestors have really recognized that you can really cook a lot of these down. And so this goes back to the whole like bioavailability idea. So if you compare like kale to liver, kale looks like it has a lot of nutrients. However, the bioavailability of those nutrients are not as high as liver because of the anti-nutrients and the compounds that can interfere with the absorption of those nutrients. And so while cooking kale or these leafy green vegetables can slightly reduce those anti-nutrients. So in general, I never like to fear monger or make people think that they can't eat vegetables. You can, I still do. Um, some vegetables, like I like to do what's called like mineral broth. You can get a good amount of magnesium and calcium from some of these like green vegetables. I cook them for like three to four hours. So really cook them down um, to help improve the digestion of those. Um, so if you like vegetables, just eat them cooked. Um, no fear mongering over certain things, but keep note on like what types may cause problems. So you can run experiments on like cruciferous vegetables. So like cauliflower and broccoli, how do those, how do you, how does your gut handle those or nightshades like, uh, peppers and things like that? How do you handle those? Um, in general though, I like to focus on like roots and tubers. So mm -hmm. these are the vegetables that are grown in the ground. So like carrots, potatoes, things like that. They don't, uh, experience as many like predators above ground. So they don't have to develop a lot of those anti-nutrients that the plants that are grown above ground do. Um, so I personally noticed that I do, I do really well on carrots and potatoes. Um, and of course, like I said, I, I prioritize fruit too, but yeah, I think that the bioavailability of certain nutrients isn't really discussed enough in the mainstream and the way you cook things will, will really, is really important for uh, nutrient acquisition. 
Yeah, I love that. I think that's so important. And I think that's why, like how you talked about how our ancestors knew, like that's why they sprouted and fermented grains because they'd get rid of the phytic acid and the wheat. And that's why bread back then wasn't an issue. And now you can just <laughs> squish it up into a little ball and it's so pliable and it, but no wonder we have gut issues. And I mean, look at cabbage, right? When you, cabbage can be a really hard vegetable to digest, but when you ferment it and you get this, you know, the probiotic benefits of it, I mean, it's much easier to digest. They, they well, knew all these things. Oh, absolutely. But I, I think in another, another important thing to bring up is I have an issue with people saying we have to eat like our ancestors because we live in a completely different world than our ancestors. So back in the day, our ancestors were growing their own food. They were not using all of these chemicals like NPK fertilizers, pesticides, these toxins. They weren't using those to grow their, their food. It's just the sad reality today that our vegetables are um, grown and maximized for like yield not nutrients. Right. And then they're also sprayed with a lot of chemicals. And it's it's financially hard for people to buy a bunch of organic vegetables. And it's just the it's it's just reality that non-organic vegetables are going to be high in pesticides. That's just like how they're grow, grown these days. So that's another important thing to consider is um toxin load and whether certain foods you have to really consider, okay, how many nutrients am I getting from these foods? But then also how many toxins am I getting? Because we don't want to overburden our body with toxins because then your body's going to be using those nutrients that you're consuming to detox those toxins. And so it, that's another, it's, it's unfortunate, but um, like you, like you brought up like the wheat and the bread situation, um, a lot of people are like have issues with gluten these days, maybe because of all the pesticides that are mm -hmm. used mm -hmm. and spread like sourdough bread has been a part of our ancestors history for like thousands of years, but they weren't growing wheat and all these other ancient grains with heavy amount of fertilizers and pesticides. And now like wheat is sprayed with glyphosate an insane amount. And so are oats and things like that. So yep. it's just, that's my issue with like, Oh, we've got to eat like our ancestors. Well, unfortunately we've got to, we, I think we have to modify our diet to, uh, function at our best in this toxic world that we live in. Yeah, that's true. I mean, or if you can get as best to like non-toxic or try to get organic, like, you know, like I grow a garden, you know, or right. if you go to the farmer's market, you can just simply ask, Hey, do you spray your stuff? Yes or no. I mean, cause I'll support the, I'll gladly support the farmers who don't, you know, oh, absolutely. um, what was I just going to say? I had a really great thought and I totally, it slipped my mind. Oh, um, so when you were bringing certain foods back into your diet, you brought more of like the carrots and potatoes, things Fruit. like that. So I work with a lot of people who have insulin resistance or even like subclinical, because honestly, that's truly, in my opinion, one of the most hidden epidemics in this country is our, our ability to properly handle glucose. I see it all the time, whether it's with acne or PCOS, like it's, it's a big thing. So talk a little bit about how you've adopted, you know, what your diet kind of looks like now um, with adding some of those, you know, healthy carbs like seasonal fruits and honey, things like that into your diet. I love, those are great foods. And like you said, we, those are so enjoyable too, especially now it's strawberry season, soon it'll be blueberry season. Peaches. You know, being, yeah. <laughs> being able to enjoy those really great, like tastes of the season are really fun because in the winter I, I won't buy a $10, $20 case of organic berries because 
I, I just won't. So I really only eat fruit in the, when they're in season. So it's extra enjoyable this time of year for sure. Yeah. So I just brace yourself. I'm going to potentially say some controversial things and I'm not saying that it is going to work for everyone. Um, but I think if we start at like the standard American diet, so it's very clear that the standard American diet is this experiment that we've been running for the last 50 or so years and it isn't working. Right. And if you take a look at the standard American diet, it's high in processed carbohydrates and it's high in PUFAs, polyunsaturated fatty acids, specifically like seed oils, omega-6s, things like that. Um, that combination of having a high amount of fats and carbs in our diets, that is not a good idea. And that is leading to insulin resistance because our body has an excess of energy sources and fuels. And the, a lot of those omega-6s and those PUFAs are interfering with our metabolism mm -hmm. and causing, creating toxic byproducts. And those are just causing more and more inflammation and more damage. And it's interfering with our cells ability to produce energy. And so when someone goes from a standard American diet to a keto diet where they remove carbohydrates, they're of course going to feel better because now they don't have as much substrate competition. Um, but I still think that the keto diet is too like broad and people can do it in a really wrong way, like focusing on nut butters and just making sure like if they're only focusing on reducing their carbohydrate intake and not really prioritizing like the quality of the food that they're eating. I think that that isn't going to lead to a positive outcome um, in the end, because ultimately, like, we are what we eat. And if we take a look at the three macronutrients that we consume, um, protein, that is used to rebuild our body, re DNA repair, um, like muscle growth, Pro protein is very important building block. Then we've got the two energy substrates, fats and carbs. Fats are used to create cellular membranes and like our, our body is built, uh, like we, the fats that we consume are used to build our body. And then carbohydrates are seen as like more of an energy source. And so if we're just like completely, I, I don't know, I, I now have a, a, a view that we don't need to potentially like limit any of the macronutrients. Mm -hmm. um, I think that if one is going to choose to be carb or fat fueled to not eat as much of the counter energy. So if you want to be like uh, fat fueled, that that's fine. Uh, realize that there are potential consequences to that, meaning like the quality of the fats you consume is really important because our body is building itself with those fats and we are oxidizing fats for energy. And so choose the right fuel to make sure that you're fueling yourself or else you're not going to feel great long-term. Um, I see, I just see too many people slamming down PUFAs. And I think that that's going to lead to negative consequences further down the line. And then, Oh, definitely. Those are, those are honestly one of the biggest things that I think if people can just really limit those, right. You're doing a really great thing for your inflammation. Oh <laughs> like that, that alone. Like, yeah. That is like step one from a standard American diet, get rid of those. Um, and then I think an alternative way to eat that isn't the standard American diet. So I, I feel like people sometimes in the low carb or keto space think that the only options are going low carb or standard American diet. No, there's, yep. there are other ways to eat. So um, many more. And this is the kind of approach that I'm taking right now. And it's really working for me. And, and, and it, there's no way one can say it's going to work for everyone. Um, but I, when I was making the transition from zero carb carnivore to this like bioenergetic, pro-metabolic, repeat style of eating, um, I was reducing the amount of fat 
while slowly increasing the amount of carbs. Because like I said, we don't want to eat a ton of carbs and a ton of fats. That's a recipe for disaster. That's a standard American diet. Um, and so I just was like slowly switching out those knobs and I'm in no way, like I'm not a low fat person right now. I still consume, um, a good amount of healthy animal fats because that's important for hormone production, all the fat soluble vitamins and our body uses fat to like, for example, like fix and repair cells and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I keep my fats lower than I was on a keto diet, obviously. And I'm for my carbohydrate sources, I'm focusing on easy to digest carbs because I don't want to disrupt my gut. And so this is things like fruit, honey, um, and like I said, like well-cooked potatoes, carrots, and things that I know that my body can use for energy and it's not going to slow down my digestion, um, lead to like endotoxin release out of my gut and things like that. So it definitely took a little bit of experimentation to see which one, which carbohydrate sources felt best for me. When I was making the transition, starchier carbs did not feel good. Um, I wasn't doing that great on white rice or potatoes, but now that I've improved my energy production and improved my metabolism, I've noticed that I've been able to handle those a little bit better. Um, and maybe that's just an improvement in my digestion. What are some of the things that you felt uh, what do you, what do you mean by the fact that they didn't feel good for you? Was it digestive stuff? Yeah. I think that that's a huge piece of health information that someone should always pay attention to is like, am I pooping every day? Um, I think that that's one of the easiest ways to tell whether or not some sort of food is working for you. If you get really constipated after eating food, Hey, that food may not be the best choice for you right now. And pooping every day is a really important, um, part of being healthy because pooping helps us release toxins, right? And so having just a bunch of poop stored up in our digestive system, those toxins can be released. And that's just, that's not like, that's not optimal. So I think paying attention to your digestion is one of the easiest ways to determine whether or not something is working for you. And so I would get bloated. If you get bloated, if people who listen to this and people, you know, if you follow me, you know, that you're not supposed to get bloated, right? You shouldn't get bloated. So that's something that, you know, pooping, bloating, energy is a big one too. You know, if you feel an energy crash or you feel like cravings, like those are all good signs. And so, um, that's, that's, that's good. Keep going. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so yeah, I think that those are really important things to, to keep in mind and consider. And so I've noticed, um, at the start, those starchier carbs led to constipation for me. Um, but I've been able to introduce them, uh, reintroduce them with, with better success a little bit further down the line as I think I've improved my metabolism. I don't prioritize those as much. Um, but yeah, I think that one way to fix insulin resistance is to reduce the amount of PUFAs. So don't focus as much on, on PUFAs and instead focus on saturated fats and an, an alternative way to fixing insulin resistance would be reducing your fat intake and consuming easy to digest carbohydrates. So I think that starches will lead to um, some problems. And I know that this is very controversial to some people who believe that fructose um, is the cause of insulin resistance, but there is interesting studies out there pointing that sugar, all of the studies that are pointing that is sugar on top of an already bad diet. Anything in excess is going to cause problems. No one should ever add sugar to an already poor, high fat diet. You should not be slamming down Cokes and things like that. So everything in context. And so if, 
if keto and low carb isn't necessarily working for you, that's okay. Um, it's not the only option. Another way I would suggest would be to uh, prioritize saturated fats and easy to digest carbohydrate sources um, and making sure that you are keeping your your blood sugar balanced. So no one should, I don't know how much you talk about this on, on your show, but um, like balanced meals is a really important uh, part of keeping your blood sugar stable. No one should be consuming carbohydrates by, by themselves. Um, that's going to lead to a massive spike in blood sugar and then a, then a, do, a, dri, a drop in blood sugar and you're going to feel pretty crappy, hangry, and hungry. Yep. Um, but the same thing goes with protein. If you just consume protein, you'll see a drop in blood sugar and then your body will have to activate some stress hormones to be able to perform gluconeogenesis to keep to get your blood sugar back to the stable level that it needs to be. So balancing your meals, if you're low carb with making sure that you're consuming like fats and proteins. And then if you're choosing to be more consume more carbs, um, form your meals and snacks with pr like carbs, protein, and a little bit of fat and yep. the amount of fat will vary person to person on how you feel satiety, what your goals are. Um, and yeah, the consuming fat and protein with those carbohydrate sources will slow the entry into the bloodstream and you won't get those massive, like, hangry extremes, um, that you do. And I think that that was a, a lesson that I've learned recently. Um, and is why I think I feel a lot better on carbohydrates now than I did quite a few years ago. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. I, I really want to pivot for a second. Cause then I want to kind of zoom in on the, the saturated fat that you've talked about is because saturated fat is incredibly demonized. When I started cooking in tallow, people were like, isn't that bad? <laughs> You're going to clog like, your arteries. What are you doing? they're like, why do you cook in butter? You're like, you're a doctor. You're supposed to be promoting health. And I'm like, you have no, whatever. I just, I'm like, I don't even have the mental capacity right now, yeah. but you know, and I think, like you said, it's important to look at your blood markers and everything. But I mean, these fats have been incredibly demonized, but what do we, what did we replace them with? We replaced them with vegetable oil. How is that working out for <laughs> our country? It's not really right. not working out. And so when I think of, you know, like how my great grandmother would have cooked, she would have cooked things in butter and she would have made pie crust with things like lard or tallow. And now that was replaced with Crisco and like all of these things that probably wouldn't have been as bad. We've just made even worse with adding the vegetable oils because they're high in PUFAs. So talk a little bit about, well, we kind of, the, the saturated fat coming from mainly from animal, like you said, and then we've got the coconut and the chocolate and things like that. But I think so many people are afraid to eat the fattier cuts of meat or, you know, they want to do 90, 10 or a 95, five ground beef instead of 80, 20 or 70, 30. They were just afraid oh my of gosh, consuming, yeah. but those you, the satiation that you get from eating you, it does not cause you to overeat. When I eat a steak, I'm going to be full on eating that steak and whatever else I, I have with it. I'm not going to need to feel like I go binge. But when I was just eating boneless, skinless chicken breasts, I was so incredibly hungry all the time because it wasn't satiating. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I could. Okay, so you're going to have to stop me here if I go too long. <laughs> so I think that there's a, there's a few levels to this, um, this fear of saturated fat, this fear of animal fat. I see it with my parents who were raised during the time of Ansel Keys. Oh yeah. Um, and all of that, that propaganda. <laughs> that man, I could literally, uh, uh, so yeah. infuriating. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that it's always important to consider that um, big ag and big food 
spend Mm -hmm. billions of dollars each year on lobbyists who spend all of their time in the Capitol building helping to create policies and government information that fits their narrative. So our USDA guidelines are not dictated by health outcomes. Our USDA guidelines are very much influenced by our agricultural system and what it has evolved to today. And so clearly when you're driving through the Midwest, you see fields and fields of corn, soybeans, and all of these crops are heavily subsidized by our farm bill. So farmers get paid to produce these corn and soybean and other monocropped vegetables. And this started back in right after World War II in what's called the Green Revolution. And it, the mindset and the intent of the Green Revolution was great. However, there can always be negative consequences to, to these type of decisions. So um, the mindset was we have to feed the world. And so this on came the development of all these like fertilizers and pesticides to be able to maximize yield. And we didn't realize the consequences at the time. So we now um, flash, fast forward, we overproduce corn and soy such that like food production has had to find alternative uses for these. So you've seen the shift in our sugar sources. We used to have more sugar and fruits and honey as our sugar sources, but now high fructose corn syrup is being heavily used in all these products. And that's because we've overproduced and had to find a reason to use it. Now, soybean and all these other vegetable oils, um, we've seen a huge shift. Like you said, our grandmothers used to use uh, butter, but big ag, big food have realized, hey, it's more profitable to grow these monocropped vegetables and create vegetable oil. And so we've seen this shift in our food production system towards these nutrient void, cheap ingredients dictated by profits for these larger corporations. And it's really sad because it's clearly coming at the expense of our cost or of our health. Um, We have seen dramatic increases in like autoimmune diseases and chronic conditions, all with the rise in these nutrient void foods. And it's, it's really sad because it's, it's not only destroying our health, it's destroying our food security in the future because the industrial agriculture practices that are currently um, being subsidized by the government right now are destroying our soil at alarming rates. Yep. When we require the soil for 95% of our food production. So at some point in human history, um, it's going to be relatively soon, whether or not it's in our life, I don't think anyone really knows, um, but maybe in the next generation, we are going to degrade and erode all of our topsoil. And you can almost see it now. I mean, you drive back past some farms that just are like the soil is, is it's tan. It's, it's, you know, it's disgusting. It's, and then the water just runs right off. Whereas I think of my dad's garden, that's like all compost. It's like as dark as it's almost black because of all the nutrients. That's how all the soil should be. Yeah. And well, so like an alarming stat is, um, in the state of Iowa, um, the amount of topsoil has reduced by more than 50% in just the last like 20, I think years or so. So it's just the industrial agriculture practices are really picking up and this is coming at the cost of our health and our soil's health. And this is going to 
not only cause health issues for our generation, but it's going to like, we are not going to have food security in the future. And we are going to rely on lab made food. And what this means is that these big food corporations will have all intellectual property and control of the market because all the food will be grown in labs rather than by farmers out in the soil. So that's kind of the direction that we're headed towards which, with which, wow, with what you can see with all of the push towards the um, plant-based alternatives, such as the Impossible Burger, where they are proposing that a conglomeration of random ingredients in a lab producing this fake burger is somehow more nutrient dense than a burger from a properly raised cow that's been part of human history for millions of years. Um, the agenda is clear. The Impossible Food CEO has said that he has a goal of ending animal agriculture by 2030. And this is just going to have profound implications on our health and on the environment, and it's going to destroy the soil. Um, so I forgot the original question. <laughs> No, no, no. This is great. This is okay. great because I wanted to talk about this because so many people, you know, it, what, I'm never going to ever question someone's moral for following a diet. If they want to follow it, that's great. With any diet, there is always blood on our hands. Animals and things are dying no matter if you choose to eat an animal or not. If you choose to not eat an animal, that's totally fine. I'm, I support whatever people are. I'm obviously, if, if you follow me and you know what I eat, I'm very pro- high quality regenerative animal products. But to your point about the impossible burger, we are, you, there's canola oil, there is pea protein okay. and like this mass produced. And so when things are mass produced, you, like you had touched on the soils being degraded, there's going to be land slides because like we can't, the soil cannot hold the water. We're killing ecosystems because they're not organic. So they're spraying pesticides, which kills, you know, pollinators. It kills small little animals and like there's, there's no perfect, I guess, way. I think, I think the most perfect way is regenerative agriculture because things are obviously an animal has to lose its life, but I think that something always has to die for something to, to live, but we can do it in a mature and responsible eco-friendly and environmental friendly way. And I just get so annoyed when I hear things like that, that the CEO is trying to end animal products. Meanwhile, millions of animals are dying at the cost of his vegan burger. And that's not being talked about. Oh, yeah. So okay, I think to understand um, the implications of industrial agriculture. So what we mean by industrial agriculture is, you know, kind of what people see as quote, good farming these days, because that's just what we grew up with, right? The, all these even rows of corn stalks with no weeds in between the corn, these massive tractors spraying chemicals and fertilizer to make these things grow as high as we can. And it's just ironic and funny that this is called, quote, conventional agriculture now, whereas 100 years ago, no one was farming this way. Um, so this industrial agriculture um, has consequences at all levels of the food chain and the food uh yeah, the food web. So it starts in the soil. I think it's important to consider how our food gets nutrients. So a plant is in the ground and the plant performs photosynthesis where it takes in carbon from the atmosphere and then it converts that carbon into sugars, an energy source. It uses some of those sugars, but then it also sends some of those sugars down into the soil to feed microbes. These are small little animals, microbes that are in the soil, and they are incredibly efficient at 
scavenging for nutrients in the soil. They are more efficient at getting the nutrients from the soil than the plant, so much so that the plant will use some of its energy to feed these microbes in exchange for nutrients. When we do industrial agriculture, that symbiotic relationship between the plant and the, the microbes and fungi in the soil is broken because we have these uh, synthetic fertilizers, we have these pesticides that are killing the microbes, and then tillage is a common practice of breaking up the soil. That's destroying the, the fungi networks as well. So in, in, in industrial agriculture, that symbiotic relationship is not happening. And so instead, the plants can only get their nutrients in from the fertilizer, NPK, that we get. So you can imagine that that set of nutrients is so limited relative to a set of nutrients where the fungi can go scavenge around the soil for all these unique minerals, vitamins, and compounds that we don't even know anything about yet. So that's one reason why our food that we grow these in currently with industrial agriculture is nutrient depleted relative to what our ancestors were growing. So industrial agriculture, it's destroying those microbes that are down in the soil. No one talks about that in the veganism cruelty like world. Um, and then further on up, like you said, the pollinators, uh, these, it, these pesticides are not selective as to what's good or bad. They destroy all life except genetically modified organisms who are quote glyphosate roundup resistant. So this, this affects the pollinators and then birds who come and eat off of these seeds and things like that. They're, they're consuming pesticides as well. And so that's, it's impacting pollinators, birds, and then this just goes up further into the food chain because obviously like coyotes and, and, and um, other like smaller mammals like that rely on these other species for food. And so it just has implications at all levels of the food chain. And like you said, in order for something to live, something has to die. And the best way to do this is through regenerative agriculture, where we are working with nature rather than working against it, like industrial agriculture. We're fostering that plant and fungi relationship in the soil. So that way our plants can access more nutrients. This affects the produce that we grow. And then it also affects the meat that we raise because cows, lamb, other ruminants that are consuming a lot of these, like for uh, consuming these more nutritious plants will then have a wider nutrient intake. And then their meat will have more nutrients in them. This was recently shown in a review article by Stefan von Vliet of in the, this review article came out this year in 2021, where he showed that grass fed ruminants on really diverse and healthy pastures contain significantly more phytochemicals than um, animals raised in confinement. And so working with nature and leveraging that vital plant and uh, microbe fungi relationship is going to lead to increased nutrients in our food and industrial agriculture is destroying it. Yeah, that's mic drop right there, <laughs> honestly. And so that's why I, I love all that you talk about regenerative agriculture and referencing studies like that, because honestly, just I just feel better supporting people who are doing it the right way. It's so funny when I go to the farmer's market and I ask how the animals are treated, what they eat, you know, are you regenerative? And they just look at me and they're like, 
yeah, why would we do it any other way? And I'm just, right. you know, you're, you're talking to the small little farmers. You're not talking to these big mass corporations and it's, they understand the importance. They only want the best for what their animals and their farm, or, you know, whether it's, they do, some of them do plants and anim, animals because they, they can grow things so easily on that soil because it's that dark, rich soil. And I could talk about this stuff all day long, but I love, I love that you talk about it and it's, it makes me really passionate because like you said, it's, we don't know when the soil is going to run out, but we are, we have a limited time. And as you can, and I know, you know, but as people can probably see, I've shared on Instagram, the push for these lab meats. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to eat that way. I don't ever want, I will literally make my own freaking farm and I will literally have to fend for myself <laughs> before I do that. And yeah. I'm fine with doing that. I just, I can't believe that that's even the direction that we're going. But, yeah. I, but I, the good news is I think a lot of people hopefully are smart enough to be like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> hopefully. Well, the really sad thing is that these um, plant-based marketers are actually targeting meat eaters. So I think that a lot of like environmentally, like, intelligent and conscious vegans are doing a lot of things right. Yeah, totally. We think that these plant-based things are a joke, right? Um, these, these companies are really targeting meat eaters and trying to, there, there was a survey that went out that asked people why they consume these things. And it was for health reasons because of quote animals being high in saturated fat, which clogs our arteries and is going to cause like heart disease. That is an old, like that is outdated. There have been a number of studies showing that there is no risk of increased heart attack or like diseases with saturated fat intake in a get in, in the right context in using healthy foods. Um, it's just honestly where that stemmed from was, um, high cholesterol is what gives us heart disease and heart issues, saturated fat intake increases cholesterol, thus saturated fat intake causes heart issues. And it's been shown that dietary cholesterol is like that, that is, that is not increase your risk factor. And so there's just a lot of outdated views that are easy headlines, right? Like easy things for people to grasp, like, oh, saturated fats hard at room temperature, thus it's clogging my arteries and making my cells super stiff. Well, um, saturated fat improves the permeability of your cells. And that's a really important part to keeping that cell healthy and keeping that structure intact. Um, and there's, there's just so, so many, I think that's the biggest problem is there's these generalizations that are really easily spread as headlines. And it's easy for people to like grasp when there's, so many more nuances behind these big generalizations. Oh, totally. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that that was really, really, really well said. And I, I agree there more, it's a lot of that is marketed to meat eaters, like you said, because, you know, people who are doing plant-based the right way, they are doing plant-based the right way. And they're not doing these lab grown things, you know, to, to try to hit that. But, um, this was such an enlightening conversation. We talked to us about so many things. We talked about metabolism, saturated fat, animals, our environment. I loved it. Um, before I let you go, what is one tip that you could give to somebody to help so that we can do our own part to be able to kind of help 
help our environment, help our health, um, and kind of stop this trend in this negative direction for our soil health, what is one recommendation that you, that you have to, that we can all do something to be a part of that? Yeah, that's great. Um, I think something to keep in mind, a lot of people will say, Hey, this regeneratively grown meat, um, organic produce, like a lot of these regenerative produce, like it's a lot more expensive and it's expensive because the costs of industrial agriculture are externalized on taxpayers in our environment. Um, a lot of these crops, industrial agriculture is subsidized by the government, whereas your local farmer is not getting subsidies from the government. Right. And so it's not fair to compare the prices between regeneratively grown meat and meat from a CAFO because those costs are externalized due to those subsidies because CAFOs can buy um, feed from that's largely corn and soy. And like we talked about earlier, corn and soy is subsidized from the government. So there's always external costs with industrial agriculture. So the best thing that one can do for their health is to know where their food comes from. This will help you make more conscious decisions. You will not rely on deceiving nutrition labels. Something to always keep in mind with processed food is nutrition labels share what they want about the food. They don't share the toxin load and other things like that. For example, it's never going to say uh, the food in this food was sprayed with glyphosate. So relying on processed food, that's still relying on industrial agriculture. And so knowing where your food comes, supporting your local farmer. I always like to talk about the website, eatwild.com or localharvest.org. Um, and then American Grass Fed Association has a farm locator and so does regenerationinternational.org. So do whatever you can to find your local farmer and support your local farmer. Um, they need your support in this time. And um, knowing where your food comes from, I think is going to just help you make better food decisions because the way that our food was grown and raised has direct implications on your health. Um, and I think that the more we can, as consumers, vote with our spending dollars, the more we will force agriculture production to move towards these more regenerative practices where we can produce nutrient-dense food, repair the health of the soil, and secure food security in the future. Um, we are not at the liberty to do sustainable agriculture. Who wants to sustain a degraded system? Uh, we need regenerative agriculture to regrow topsoil, to repair the health of our soil so that we can continue to grow nutrient-dense food in the future. Totally. That was so well said. And I could not agree more. I tried to write a few of those down. When I go back and re-edit this, I'll make sure I get all of them and I'll include all the links for those in the show notes. Go to your local farmer market and really try to get to know the people you get your food from. Honestly, that's that makes me so, I think that's a separate part of health that that we don't even talk about is having that connection of your food, whether you're growing your own food, whether it's a garden or herbs or whatever, or you are having a relationship with the farmer where you're getting your meat from. I mean, that's a whole separate connection. We're so disconnected. I talked about this. I think it was episode 18 with Ashley Van Houten. She wrote the cook, the nose to tail cookbook. It takes guts. And we talked about how that connection between what we're eating is, is so important. Like we just, most people have no idea. And I think it's incredibly important. It's intimidating sometimes, especially when it's maybe an animal product. That's a little weird to think about for some people, but I think it's, it's really important and it gives you a whole new sense of gratitude around the nourishment that you're getting from your food. So thank you so, so much for coming yeah. on today. 
I appreciate it so much. I know you've got a lot going on. And so can you just tell everybody where they can find you, how they can dive into your work and what what you and your sister both do? Yeah. So my sister and I, we share about our passion for optimal health. And so we share our journey and what we've learned along our health journey on Instagram and YouTube on an account called strong.sistas. So strong.sistas. So that's on both Instagram and YouTube. And then we've created separate channels as our outlet to share about our um, regenerative agriculture passion. And we are starting a regenerative farm from scratch as first generation female farmers. So you can follow along that journey um, on our on another account called Angel Acres. So on YouTube, it's just Angel Acres. And then on Instagram, it's angel underscore underscore acres. So we have kind of two outlets where we're sharing our passion for human health and our passion for soil health. And whether we like it or not, those two are linked and we cannot have human health without soil health. So, um, yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much. I so value your time. I love this conversation and I know that the listeners are going to love it as well. So make sure you guys go check her out. Ashley, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me on. It was so much fun.